Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 212 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal privacy. Now, first things first, Angelo, I want to talk to you about a new um, sensation I felt recently, and I think- Tell me about be, the sensation. <laughs> you'll be interested in hearing about this. So I never, I don't really watch videos on my phone. I, I'm not okay. a big video phone kind of guy. And in, uh, more than that, I never really watch videos with my AirPods on, and recently I did that, and I turned my head and it was very interesting in that like uh, I got some sensorial sound going on. You got the spatial audio going. Exactly, yeah, which I wasn't expecting at all. And I, I was kind of confused for a sec because I was like, wait, this this isn't – this is directional. Yeah, the the definition of spatial audio is is weird when it comes to different devices because when they talk about spatial audio with, let's say, HomePods using Dolby Atmos on a TV, that's more how – it kind of mix real Dolby Atmos by kind of firing the audio upwards. So it kind of sounds right. like it's coming from above you, right? But when they talk about spatial audio in terms of AirPods, it means it sounds like it's coming from in front of you. So if you turn your head to the left, your right ear is going to get more yes. sound. Than, yeah, exactly. And I'll I'll go one better with you than with the phone. I get it if I have my AirPods in and I'm watching my Apple TV. Oh, I see. Yeah, of course. I don't understand how that works because I guess it kind of understands where you're facing when you start the video and then it goes with that. But I remember watching something once and I got up to go to the kitchen. <laughs> it sounded like it was moving around behind me. It was very odd. Yeah, I was on the bus and I, I was signaling for my stop and I looked up to see where we were and suddenly it was one one AirPod only. So it was it was a little confusing for a second because I never have this experience. If I'm watching a video, it's either on my iPad or on the television. Yeah, and it hasn't done it with uh, with music though. Oh no, because you you have Spotify, right? Yeah, I have Spotify. I okay, that's that why. Music, yeah. yeah. So when I remember walking once, and I was listening to churches, and that's when I noticed it. And I'm why why is it coming? You, the from band, the, not not like church bells. No, no, I was listening to Gregorian chants, <laughs> just volume twenty seven or whatever. Yeah, as I went for a walk <laughs> on Discogs, trying to order like a vinyl copy of it. I was listening to the wonderful Scottish band Churches, and. I was confused as to why one ear sounded louder than the other, and then I realized, oh, I have the wrong type of spatial audio on. Yeah, it would bug me. For to music, no you can switch it to like "quote unquote" Dolby Atmos, but it's not really Dolby Atmos with with AirPods. You need like nineteen thousand speakers for true Dolby Atmos. <laughs> yeah, no, it it was very it was a very odd kind of of sensation. A, a very um, it pulled me out of my element for a second because I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on, and then I realized it was, uh, you know, a feature, not a bug. Angela, you have a you have a you have a secret you want to share with me. You've been you've been hinting at things, and I, I'm scared. Okay, well, it's nothing crazy, but I sent you a hint, and you saw. So, do you have a sense of what the secret is? Did you order a new HomePod? I did not order a HomePod. I did, however, uh, decide to get a laptop. Oh, so you did decide to get a laptop? I did, yeah, because so I was I went to the office on Friday, and. Several times, I felt like flinging myself out the window because I cannot do my work with the computer provided by the office. And I, what about the computers bothering you? Well, it's a bit slow, but it's not. It wasn't as slow as usual. I have just realized my job is so much easier to do on a Mac than with a PC. There's certain things missing and lacking, and apps that I use and the way it works. That yes, I could adapt. I could probably, I would maybe like ten, fifteen, twenty percent productivity, but. I'd also be miserable. 
so I was going I was going to talk about this and say like and you cut this out of of last week's show but I was making fun of you for your very milk toast um kind of ways about dealing with work computers and here we are a week later talking about it again censorship Angelo However, this had to go through management approval. I'm not talking about work management. I'm talking about home management here. And the my, my lovely wife uh, begrudgingly approved. And I was going to buy a MacBook, an M2 MacBook Air mm-hmm. uh, with 16 gigs of RAM and 512 storage. So it'll last me several years. And then Apple dropped the M2 MacBook Pros. I did not buy a Mac, uh, M2 MacBook Pro. You know how much that costs here in Canada? Base model? What, like three? $25.99. Okay, so that's, right. yeah, about <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's well too far in my range. However, well, for, Especially for what you're going to do, like, which yeah. is just, it's office work. Exactly. But guess what? The re- refurbished M1 MacBook Pro dropped by almost $500 wow, okay. that day for $70 more. I ended up getting the base model 14-inch MacBook Pro because it has an extra port and an HDMI cable, HDMI port, which will be very handy at the office. When you have to plug into your second monitor. Exactly. But now you have to carry, you have to carry a laptop to and from work. That was the one major downside why I would have wanted an Air over a MacBook Pro. But the price was kind of hard to, to say no to. It is a little heavier, though, and a little clunkier. Would you say this is a want or a need? This is... A want so that I don't need to fling myself out a window when I'm at the office. Do you realize that back in the day, your educational institution frowned heavily upon these of any Macs anywhere? That's not true because when I first started my job there, my first job was on a Mac, uh, an old Mac using uh, Mac OS 9. Yeah, but the IT people hated it because I was privy to a lot of battles between certain coworkers of mine and IT all about how they didn't want Macs in the ecosystem. Yeah, I think now they, they're, they've realized with work from home and people working on Macs and uh, productivity being very high with certain people. I'm, I, and it could also just be working from home. As we know, I think it's kind of proven that working from home does make people more productive. You're going to love this one, Angelo. So my wife recently uh, is switching jobs, so she starts in a couple of weeks. And I asked her, I'm like, oh, when are you getting your new computer? Are you getting, getting a Mac? And she froze in terror at having to deal with a Mac because she's a, she's a PC person. So is she going to be the opposite of me and bring her HP computer to the office? Yeah. <laughs> well, she doesn't, she's fully remote, right? So that's the work from home component. So I'm curious to see if they ship her a Mac and how much fun I'm going to have to watch her kind of figure things out. So have, have you had to talk with her? Have you sat her down at a table and asked her why she prefers Windows computers? Is something wrong with her? She just doesn't know the UI at the end of the day, right? She, it's, it takes getting a little used to if you don't understand what you're doing. But once you do, you agree it is. Uh, it leads to better productivity than Windows. For uh, at I'm least for of, me, I'm kind of agnostic on that one in terms of like, okay, well, the things that like a keyboard is a keyboard, and what what special tools will I need for most jobs that I do? Nothing, right? So whether it's in a browser on a PC or Mac, uh, in terms of creative stuff, a Mac definitely blows a PC out of the water in terms of uh, price and quality because the Mac, the PC I'd have to build and the programs I have to use, um, not innately in love with on a pc versus a mac so on that end fine um i've done work on both i have no problem with both i think that you maybe put a little too much energy into um being set in your ways as an older i am and it's true because i did do my job for many many years on on a pc and and i felt like when i did that i would work on a pc 35 hours a week come home do fun stuff on a mac 
and I didn't really feel it. But now that I've done both work and creative things on a Mac, it's hard to go back to PC. It also does not help that the PCs at the office are terrible. Yes, they are. That I so that doesn't yeah. help because I'm sure if they gave me a brand new PC with an, a good SSD and Windows 11, I'd find I'd probably find that fine. Do you think they're going to do that? They will not do that. So it's it's fine. I will I'll be very happy. I think I'll I'll be good with it. But yeah, going back to creative work and stuff like that, the apps I use to create this podcast are not available on a PC. No, iMovie doesn't exist on a PC. Yeah, well, in, in terms of, for, like, just for this show, right, We I use Logic to edit, I use Audio Hijack to record, and to uh, bounce down to MP3, I use Forecast. Macs are good. I'll be happy. And that, that was my tech surprise of the week for you. Angela, I have a surprise for you, my friend, and that is the fact that someone actually listened to you and sent in some listener mail via the contact form on the website. <laughs> so I got an, uh, an email from Nick, which I had to forward to you because you never checked the inbox. And so Nick has a question all about F1. So I'm going to read this, Angela. You ready? <clears throat> Go ahead. I have a tech question related to F1. Are new tech advances diminishing the role of driver skill in the sport? In 1994, active suspension was banned for being too much of a driver aid, but now we're in the era of DRS, semi-automatic gearboxes, unprecedented in-race telemetry, individual tire conditions, gearbox health, and tons of power unit data, and soon even active aero. Is it all too much? If so, can anything be done about it without increasing danger to drivers and decreasing the fun of watching? Angelo, F1 is your domain. I have some thoughts. So I'm going to let you lead this discussion and do some color commentary and then pitch some things towards you to think about. Well, Brian, do you know what Article 33.1 of the Sporting Regulations is? Can yeah, you, of course I do. You, do you, of, okay, of course go ahead. Tell me. Please no, tell I, me what I it is. I obviously don't. I do not <laughs> right. pay attention to this, so go ahead. So, so the FIA Sporting Regulations, it states the driver must drive the car alone and unaided. So what is FIA? Fédération Internationale Automobile. I think okay. that's what it stands for. Awesome, okay. I could be wrong, and I'm sure at least one listener of the podcast will correct me. There's There should be no real aids driving the car. The, the thing is, is, it's a team of a thousand people that create these cars. It's not just the driver alone with the car. So there's obviously... A lot of leeway in there, but what they mean is the driver has to be the one making sure that the car stays on the road. An F1 car doesn't have ABS brakes. We've gone in F1 from like when Grand Prix racing started and the driver was also the mechanic. And now, like I said, the team's a thousand people working towards making sure they they place the highest on the grid. I feel like now in, in 2022, these cars that started this year, we're in a really good spot with F1 and the way the drivers have control over the car. I, I mean, one of the real reasons F1 exists is to push, push technology in the automobile, in, in automobile racing. We have this happy medium now, but like he brought up, like Nick brought up, there was, there was a car in, 19, in the early 1990s, the, the Williams FW14B, it was called, uh, designed by Adrian Newey, who now is the head designer of Red Bull. And in 92 and 93, that car just completely dominated because it... It had this active suspension that basically the driver just drove the car like Mario Kart, basically. They didn't really have to do much except change gears, which were semi-automatic anyway. And uh, it was a bit too much, so they banned the whole thing. They also banned traction control that year, but they brought back traction control in 2001, and then they banned it again in 2008. So So what is traction control? It prevents the car from, the tires from slipping, right, so that you don't spin out and stuff like that. Uh, the driver has to be a lot more careful with the throttle and not just uh, push the gas all the way down like uh, we do in video game car racing. Actually, when I play uh, the F1 game on PS5, I have 
several driver assists put on, one of them being traction control, the other being ABS. The races were a disaster for me when I did not have those aids turned on. But yeah, there's there's been no traction control since 2013, uh, since t- 2008, although uh, there are reports, uh, as I was researching for this question, there are reports that Red Bull cheated sort of in 2013 when they won. And uh, they uh, they kind of had a bit of traction control that they kind of hid. And that's the thing with F1. The teams try to get away with so much. It's like little kids sometimes out there. If you watch Drive to Survive, you'd see a lot. I think I think we're in a good spot right now. The cars are really cool. <laughs> I like how it's just uh, your ending statement there is just the cars are cool. So a couple of thoughts for you, Angela. The first is I'm kind of curious um, because, once again, I'm not too well versed in F1, but the radio teams, how does that work? How much uh, input do they have on on things when they're live? What I'm thinking right now is that there will be, and they probably already do this, is that they um, are running real-time modeling, right? Yeah, there's a lot. There's That car is just full of computers, basically. Yeah, and what I'm asking is that, like, so they basically take whatever they see across the track and just kind of inform drivers about their best course of action? For the entire race, the radio is open. And they give them a lot of information. What I find extraordinary is that the driver has the presence of mind to press the radio button when they're going 300-something kilometers an hour. Yeah, but it's on the steering wheel, no? It's on the steering wheel, but still, just look, Just I know I'm not a, an F1 driver, but just playing on a PlayStation, if I look up for a second to check something or get distracted, I crash. Luckily, I have a rewind button on the PlayStation game. This feels like uh, the your, your brain on drugs kind of thing here. <laughs> so well just the idea here that like you know this is me this is my brain on drugs this is my brain on distraction oh i've crashed this I, virtual I crashed car. The car yeah it's incredible what they could be doing uh these drivers obviously that's why they're f1 drivers i think one of the interesting parts of, of nick's question though is like uh, decreasing the fun of watching right because the thing is that like they could fully automate this right and so it'd be more like sports betting than actual um uh driver skill yeah and i i think now the biggest disparity is the way the cars are so different from each other. And you may be the best driver, but if you don't have the best car, you're not necessarily going to win. So you're, the cars aren't very close together in performance. There's there's usually three at the top. There's the midfield, and then there's the back markers. And it's it fluctuates a little from year to year. But since 2014, Mercedes has dominated, and now just recently Red Bull has been doing a bit better. Do you think it's because the infuser drivers with actual Red Bull? Oh yeah, definitely. Are they allowed to? What kind of stimulants are, are drivers allowed to take? I think they drink water <laughs> during the race. They lose drivers lose several kilograms. I was going to ask. The they race. probably lose. Yeah, it's insane, time, right? Yeah, they probably dry out really easily. What are the biggest dangers? Do you think that drivers face now that could be aided with technology? Just, I mean, apart from obviously the crashes. Well, so something that uh, a piece of technology that's that's passive that has literally saved lives is the, what's called the halo. And it's the thing that goes around the driver. It, a lot of them were against it at first because it kind of blocks their view a little bit. But once you get used to it, you're, you're driving fine. It's literally saved several lives already. So it's a chassis kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, if you look it up, you'll see that what the halo is. It's, it's, it's kind of weird looking at first. There are people against it. And the, one of the drivers who was against it almost died uh, a couple of years ago, and it saved his life. <laughs> I mean, like, so that's and he right? yeah. said, yeah, yeah, he's he was wrong. This that reminds was, me of, of back in the early 80s when the U.S. government decided to uh, make seatbelts mandatory. Certain subsets of people were very displeased with that, right? And yet, yeah, seatbelts do save a lot of lives. They used to sell white shirts with a black stripe across it, so you would, would wear that <laughs> while you were driving. Is that what you're planning on doing here as a, as a future sovereign citizen of Quebec? 
Anyway, I want to thank Nick for the question. It's always nice getting a listener questions. And uh, please keep sending them. How can people send questions into the show? Just go to doubledensity.net and there's a form you could fill out. And I make it sound really complicated, like taxes, but you just put your name and uh, email address and write your question. Or you can skip that step and email us at doubledensitypodcast.gmail.com. You can go ahead and do that. That's yeah, the, you can do that too. You know, either or. I do love the idea of a form submission email, though. So thank you. Yeah, like like I just said, thank you, Nick. Uh, this is a bit of a, par, a car podcast because the next thing I want to talk to you about is a recent XXL um, article all about uh, Rick Ross, the rapper. Yeah, he doesn't want to get into Teslas. He does not want to get into Teslas. And I, I, it's a very interesting – okay, so a lot of people were clowning on him for this one, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I kind of – I kind of taking it more seriously than I should, so I'm going to read the quote. I won't say I'll never have a smart car, but I've never ridden a Tesla. Never, never in my life. I've never ridden in a Tesla, and the reason being because I've always had in the back of my mind the government could tap into the brain of the car. Okay, where's Rick? He's over there. Nah, bring him in for question. Like, where I'm going? You know, you pull up to the bid, and, and an agent uh, walks out and says, hey, Rick, right? So this is a really interesting kind of thing of suggesting that, like, um, the – fully automated nature of a car could actually backfire for um, certain people. You know, the way that the government kind of tracks people already, it'd be very easy for them to, in not necessarily the near future, but a future, not hopefully not the future, um, bring people to, to courthouses, to precincts, to other police stations uh, with ease. I feel like people are clowning on him a bit because he, he has a, con- a conspiratorial mind at one point, he was talking about how he doesn't drink almond milk because he doesn't <laughs> yes, trust it. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. That aside, he's not too far off. No, I mean, like, and you and I have have done this for a while, and we've seen so many um, different pieces of tech that are used privately and publicly. Um, you know, facial recognition, the way that uh, phones recognize where you are, et cetera, et cetera. And so, the idea here of a car um, forcing a destination on a recipient doesn't seem as far fetched as some people claim it to be necessarily, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this is, um, and the way that like manufacturers, um, and uh, law enforcement kind of work hand in hand sometimes. Uh, I mean, like, listen, like the self-driving feature in Tesla's is a, you know, uh, a hot stinky dumpster fire right now. I don't know if, uh, there's a recent New York times article about how messy that was. That was just fascinating to read because of all these stories. Um, and also like super sad, right? People have died over this. So I don't think we're there just yet, but the idea of a car bringing you against your will to a destination, uh, based on what your local or state or federal government wants is not insane. A self-driving car in terms of the technology we have now today would not have done well on the, the roads they drove today in the snowstorm. No. Because everything was white. You can't see any sort of lanes. I would love to hear from a self-driving um, car owner who has tried it uh, in a, you know, in a northern um, North American city. I wonder if it doesn't let you because it can't get any information. So I'm wondering if it actually turns itself off at that point. It struggles to navigate snowy roads. Surprise, Angelo, according to hotcars.com, which is not a, a car fetishist website, but a car enthusiast website, just FYI. If it's cameras doing the work, just like the human eye, all I saw was white. I was using my knowledge like a of the, Yeah. <laughs> all of I was just using my knowledge of the road to be able to uh, make sure I, I brought my family home to safety. <laughs> While well, fueled by cocaine. The entire car just filled with snow. It helped my car's white, too. <laughs> well, listen, like, no judgment here. We were also quite close to each other today, though we did not run into each other. 
No, I Which might have run into thing. you with the car. Well, you you could have, yeah. No, I was I was visiting with a friend, and you were busy buying something for your daughter, and we were in very close proximity. Speaking of the the government tracking me, when I went to pay the parking meter, I have an app on my phone, and I had noted the parking place, and when I opened the app, the parking place was already there, and then I realized the last time I used that app was in that exact same parking spot. Really, for that same store? Yeah. Wow. Well, because it's it's literally right in front of the store, just across the street, and it's it's not in a very busy area. Montreal and when we go it's usually on a Sunday morning so it's not packed but yeah I ended up in the same spot twice in a row I was really wondering like wow the location is amazing on this <laughs> but no I, I realized no, no this exactly, is the yeah. spot I parked yeah. in I also time. have the same app and I've never had that move so it's just a hats off to you for being consistent I don't drive where parking meters are required very often same and I what mean, I do it's to buy dance stuff for my daughter <laughs> and also maybe for yourself yeah, I mean, if I go to, if I ever drive to work, I park indoors. The where I work has several indoor parking lots that actually have really competitive pricing. So I, I usually end up using that. If I, I like how you're making this a, a an ad here, an ad read almost. Yeah, come to park a <laughs> university's parking lot. It's great. Just don't <laughs> take up spots when I need them. Yeah, well, I was going to say like you have to sort of like make sure that you have a, a you know a, a surefire, safely kept spot just for yourself. Yeah, I will be uh, going in on a Saturday in, uh, in a few weeks. Um, I will not be driving. My friend will drive me in, which is nice. And I will be laughing at you. <laughs> Let's head on over to the paranormal side of things. Good. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Double Density. Welcome back to Double Density, and as always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So some good news, some bad news in this segment. Let's start with some good news, or potentially good news. I'm not quite sure how this one's going to shake out. But uh, speaking about being close to home, Angelo, uh, so McGill University of Montreal recently uh, put out a press release announcing that astronomers um, in uh, association with uh, a team in India have captured radio signals from across a distant galaxy very far away. This signal detected by the team was emitted from this galaxy when the universe was only 4.9 billion years old. So just think about that for a sec. I was really excited when I saw this, but then I realized it's not aliens. It's not, just, yet. Uh, not yet. Uh, it's, just, it's just a distant galaxy forming. Boring. <laughs> just you kind of giving up on the concept of aliens until it's just fermented here, fully realized. How amazing is that, though? We can hear the formation of a galaxy billions of light years away. It's crazy, right? Like, it's just, uh, it's wild to think that, like, I'm here, you're there. We're just very, you know, uh, close. We're nothing but insignificant specks in a microsecond of a microsecond uh, in comparison to to the idea of the length of time um, since this has elapsed. And also our ability to capture it. I mean, look, we're, like, time traveling right now. We're recording this on a Sunday. And somebody, yeah, I'm talking to you. You're listening to this on Wednesday morning. It's pretty amazing, right? And now you're high. When you see blue, is it the same blue I see? Or do you see oh, red? Oh, we're playing this I game. Blue? We're playing yes. this game. <laughs> Philosophical college talk. Angelo, um, language is just an agreement that you and I have together. You understand that concept, right? I don't know what you just said. The idea of language, right? That's yes, the same. Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm not quite sure. You know, you're a bit of a square. Let's put it that way. Are we as cool as the next two people we're going to talk about, though, Brian? I am scared to answer that question, Angelo. So, two people that we hold in very high regard recently launched a podcast so 
Jeremy Corbell, a.k.a. Uh, Jeremy Four Names, as Rob from your Strange Cargos loves to call him, has teamed up with journalist George Knapp to start the Weaponized podcast. Now, Angelo, they put out the first episode a couple of days ago, and let me put it to you very nicely. The set looks like In Between Two Friends with Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> it really does. It's, it's, Except Obama's not there. Well, no, not yet, right? Essentially, he's going to pop up. He's going to be there because he's going to reveal all he is the whistleblower. I would hope so. That would be like a great reveal on like episode six. What would happen to all the birther UFO guys though? They would, their heads would implode. It's true if they did. Yeah. So, uh, the first episode is, is an hour 19. I listened to it and even at double speed, it felt like an eternity. I don't like the title weaponized cure, uh, weaponize your curiosity. I, I, I don't like the sound of that. It's, it's like it can lead to weaponizing one's stupidity. So I like, I'm going to, take a step back even further than that and kind of consider the fact that um, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell love to talk about all of the Navy stuff, all of the government stuff, right? Which, and then calling your podcast weaponized, it makes me feel like this is a psyop. And I'm, I'm saying that in jest. I don't have any proof, but it just, it feels like a psyop. Do you feel that they're planted people like George Knapp has been a misinformation, disinformation, not misinformation, a disinformation agent for the last 40 years? <laughs> I don't think that is the case. I just think that like he's being fed certain things by certain people, right? Um, which has led to a lot of like, okay, so this is gripe number one. So I, you you only watched a, a clip that I sent you, but I watched the whole thing. So at one point they talk about um, Bob Lazar. You're brave, about, Brian. I know. They talk about Bob Lazar. And they even mention, oh, when I was first, so George Knapp is like when I was first investigating him, you know, uh, all these institutions he claimed he went to, never heard of him. And then he kind of glosses over that part. And yeah, well, that's to, not important. That's not important to the story. It doesn't, to trying to it, establish Lazar's credentials and how they believe him, but they don't go into like how they otherwise verified that, which I thought was like a very weird tell. It would take away from the story, which you don't want to do that. No, but I, yeah, of course, you and I being like, um, and if they know things that we don't, then where is this information that they should be sharing that like would add so much to this, right? Like. They always have something that they just have to withhold for a little longer, and they withhold it long enough for us to forget about it and then never talk about it again because they have nothing. Of course not. And that's that's one of the bigger problems that you and I have with a lot of this, right? So I just uh... – this blob from Iraq. Oh, so let's get into that part. So yeah. they decided not to come in empty-handed. So what they have done is they have shared a, an image uh, from a very short four-second video, they claim, um, from 2016 from Mosul, Iraq, which is northern Iraq. And let me tell you, my friend, I stared at it. And apparently this is a, a UFO in line with a drone or a fight, like a, a plane. And I just... I'm very confused by it because if you look at the photo, Angela, what do you see? It looks like something reflecting from the ground and, and the, the image being deformed, I guess, by the light. But the problem is it's not in motion. Now, if, if it was a weird thing in motion, then that would be kind of interesting, but it's not. Of course, even though he has the four-second clip, he refuses to release it for some unknown reasons and shows us a crappy picture. Just give us the clip. I don't get it. I agree. And it's not even drip disclosure at this point. Like it's a four second video. So if you look at this image, right, and you kind of consider what it is and how it moves, and also it's obviously tagged Jeremy Corbell in the corner. Um, it's a car, Angelo. It is a car in the same way that Google images will blur out or sorry, Google maps will blur out um, uh, faces on street view, kind of the same thing. This looks like a blurred out car top. It's unidentified and it could be flying and it's an object. So it's a UFO. I mean, classically speaking, correct. We cannot 
ascertaining as to whether or not it's on the ground. But it kind of looks like it is. His assumption, though, is that it's a sphere. And then he starts talking about all the non-aerodynamic shapes these things are. But he talks about spheres and cigars. I mean, a cigar-shaped thing is sort of pretty aerodynamic. I think he's talking it? more about, in the podcast when I was listening, he was talking more about, like, cube-shaped. Okay, yeah, that's, I mean, the Borg use that, and they're pretty aerodynamic. <laughs> yes, of course, they, uh, the, the very real race of the Borg is. Yeah. But, yeah, when you consider this, I don't know if you have the image open, but if you look at the top right, that looks to be another car, right? So if you superimpose the size of the car, kind of extrapolate its size, it looks pretty identical in size. When you said it was a car hood, I thought, yeah, it yeah, looks like yeah, the hood yeah. of a car. Because at first I just saw uh, an amorphous blob that looked like it was – I thought it was um, sort of like a – you know one of those silver sheets that like the, the space people have? A silver sheet that space people have. You have yeah, to like a, a heat blanket or whatever. It looked like one of those just floating in the Funnily sky. Funnily enough, I'm watching, Breaking, I'm watching uh, Better Call Saul right now in the first season. And okay. so Michael McKean wears one of those. Yes, because he protects himself from the radio exactly. waves. Exactly. Uh, so that is kind of timely in my own quarter of the universe. But more frustratingly, like the entire podcast was both an exercise in self in masturbation, but also just in feeding into the machine of the greater publicity uh, UFO sphere. They really like UFOs, eh? If they're <laughs> UAPs, Angelo. Uh, UAPs. Um, but yeah, the, so they they brought this this Iraqi. Um, still image to the table and in three seconds i was like no that's just just a car hood like i would love to see the four second video i would love to see it i don't know where it is if they're holding it off doesn't on it, exist it, well if it does i think what they're doing is holding off on it to drip it out and then we'll be super underwhelmed yet again am i wrong to feel that jeremy corbell is extremely insincere elaborate he just comes off as a huckster i'm just doing this because i want to make movies about this stuff i don't really care I think there is a passion there, but I also think that like, so he, I think he his goal is to be like a UFO influencer. I think that's his ultimate goal. I would not disagree because at one point he says that he picked up a camera and suddenly people were whispering things to him that they weren't supposed to. And I was like, that's a really weird way of phrasing uh, documentary filmmaking. Well, I mean, just from, from the conversation, it's, it's, you know, between two ferns, you can call it between two blowhards. <laughs> yeah you definitely could it was very underwhelming and like the thing is like once again i'm always going into this hoping for the best right i'm always hoping for like to be won over to be persuaded and um this was not the case unfortunately yet again no. where it's just a lot of self-congratulatory talk about the way in which they've influenced things and how um once again like it's very centered on official government disclosure right it's not the organic kind of of ufo coverage that you and i have talked about in the past um you know george knapp has written two books about skinwalker ranch uh, Corbell did a whole video about Bob Lazar and his machinations over at uh, Area 51, how those are totally real, bro. Don't worry about it. And so to me, it's very frustrating to dive into those seas of sameness almost. I don't feel like anything they've done. Well, George Knapp, did, is it his Skinwalker Ranch book we read? Yeah. Yes, it is. I did. I quite enjoyed that. But looking back on it, I don't think any of it was based in any sort of reality. I think it was just a lot of hearsay. And Corbell, I've watched a few of his films, and they're really hard. He's just so, so self-important. Well, I mean, in the beginning of the Bob Lazar one, the first scene is all about himself, right? And I just, yeah, there's a lot of self-insert stuff that it just, it, it drives me crazy to, to watch. 
with that said, they'll be joining us on Double Density next week. I would love that. I would love to talk to them and just be like, listen, like, let's talk about Bob Lazar, where you say that he, you know, he went to school at these specific places and it's, you can't find that. So why do you believe that he actually went to those schools? What does that mean? Right. I don't know how they'd, they, they'd sidestep that and just try to fancy, like flash a fancy car hood. In our and then face. talk about element 115. Right. And just all, all of that. It's just, it would drive me insane if I were to be um, trapped in a space with them for more than maybe like 10 minutes. What if you were trapped in a UFO with them? I would like to see where it goes. Am I aware? Okay. So here's a question for you. Am I aware I'm on the UFO? Yeah, yeah, you okay. totally know you've been abducted by aliens. Okay, so it's an abduction scenario. Then yeah, I would I would write it out. I would love to see the reactions to that, and then because um, once again, like I haven't formed ideas in the same way as they have necessarily. So I'd love to see their reaction to things versus mine. I feel like like Nap is a true believer, and he thinks what he's saying is real. Um, Corbell, like I said, I feel he's a little less insincere, less sincere, and he's more in it for. So you're saying he's uh, an opportunist, is what you're trying to yeah, get to? Yeah, yeah, alleged. Allegedly, I yeah, because we don't live in their brains, we can't state their state of mind. Once again, these are all opinions that we have, but it would not surprise me if he was able to realize a career out of something that he liked in a way that is more self-serving than public serving. Yeah, exactly that. How many movies has he done? Because he's relatively new to the scene. So he's done three actual movies. Okay. And then he's in production or post-production in six other movies. Six? Yeah. How do you manage to do six movies at the same time? He's doing a movie about the Area 51 raid, the meme. Oh, the one where they were going to like Naruto run into the... Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's also something coming up about... Truth Embargo, which looks like he's written all these things. Like, let's get you can put things on, on IMDb yourself, right? Like, that's the thing you need to understand. Moonwalker. Um, he has posters for all of them. Okay. Well, good for him. So he's doing a documentary about Edgar Mitchell. And, oh, this is, yeah, these are. Your face right now is, uh, I wish I wish listeners could see the face you're making. It's so strange. I mean, go check these out. I'm very curious to see what people make of these because these are not actual movies that exist as of yet. Okay, so he's just kind of putting it out there, uh, trying to throw as many things and sees what sticks. Yeah, he's also doing a John Lear documentary, which will be very interesting. I I always forget. Did John Lear pass away? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and he's kind of like a he's kind of like a Ground Zero for for George Knapp and his whole um, alien stories, right? Because John Lear was the one who approached him with a, a ton of of documentation too back in the day in the eighties. So. Yeah, because George Knapp was just a, a regular reporter back. Yeah, then, he was in an investigative reporter. Yeah. So do you think this podcast is going to last? Ours or theirs? Think ours is, I mean, we're episode 212. We're doing okay. Do you think they'll get past episode 10? Yes. I think they're going to do a full year. Okay. And then be done with it. Yeah. Are they always going to sit at a set and video it? I guess it's that type of podcast. I don't. <laughs> that I, was such I an old man to, way of saying it, videoing it. I, I refuse to call that a podcast, though. A podcast is. But it's, it's a, there's an audio feed for it, too. Like, you can go find I it. I know. It just seems weird. I don't know. It just seems odd. It seems like a uh, Brian, Brian keeps putting a clip on his nose. Yeah, chip clip. Yeah, it's just something I, I keep in mind to to break up the uh, the scenery. The see, this were a video podcast. People would see. This. You don't you don't like the smell of, of this, <laughs> this uh, stink, weaponized yeah. podcast. The stink of a hundred. Uh, what is it like a you know one hundred and ten minutes of podcast? That's pretty long. We we try we try to keep it sh- relatively short here, at double density. So I, I think is that this your way of pushing a, me off? Uh, yeah, well, I think it's a good place to kind of end it. I although I would I love like my math gaff my math gaff over there. 
you know, tr- turning a hundred, uh, you know, an hour and 20 minutes into a hundred minutes, was just stupid as hell. Uh, so, you know, it's 80 minutes. Oh, it's still hundred minutes, 80 minutes. You were it's just off. Both were too long. Both were too long. Yeah. I I'm curious though. Anybody who listens to this podcast, if you listen to weaponized and you liked it, let us know why we're wrong and what you liked about it. Double density podcast at gmail.com. Double underscore density over on Twitter. Uh, double density you can podcast. also go to double density.net. Oh, here we go again. This stupid contact form. I love the contact form. <sighs> do you, do you fill in contact forms elsewhere? At work? No, no, not really. no. I mean like in your personal life, like what contact forms are you hitting up? I, the most recent contact form I filled in was to Ubisoft because they had, uh, they signed me out of uh, whatever the Ubisoft thing was and I couldn't sign back in. I was trying to, trying to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Dear Mr. Ubisoft, your Assassin's Creed franchise is missing a vital component. Me. No, it wasn't that. It was just not signing in. And then when I went to sign in, they still had my Hotmail account. I have not used Hotmail since 2003, so I don't know. So they were merging accounts? Or yeah. Or like their databases? Was, yeah, I was really confused. Anyway, they fixed it, and it was very, very fine. They're fine people over there <laughs> at Ubisoft. Is that, is that the, the line you're sticking with them with this one? Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> All right, Angel, this has been it for episode 212 of the Double Density Podcast, and uh, I just listed off for social, so I'm not going to bother doing that again. No need for if that. If you want to use Angela's Infernal Contact Form, DoubleDensity.net is your place to do that. Please. Show Brian the power I, I of the want, contact form. I, I, I want a lot of people to use it this week and just say, see, Brian, using a contact form is fun. And they'll read them out on, on, on the show. What a dad move. I guess we can tune in next episode as a deluge of contact form emails comes my way and I'll have to forward every single one to you for you to read, analyze like it were a Pentagon paper. There'll be formal complaints from Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp saying that we got their show all wrong. I will see them then. Great. <laughs>